morning. You know, he, he I tell you, he's he's too humble. Um, not only can I call him, uh, I've called him coach, called him brother, but also friend. So your pastor is too kind. I'm grateful for the opportunity to come back. Uh, April and I moved here. And this will be year eight. Uh, we came from Pittsburgh. Okay, you, yeah, I know. It's always one. Yeah, yeah, because I know you. You're the one that throw their hand at you when you say Pittsburgh. But uh, we moved here to come and serve uh, with Campus Crusade. Uh, joined the pro ministry, left the college ministry. My wife is back there. Hi, honey. You always got to acknowledge your wife so you get extra butter on your biscuits on Sunday when you're in the pulpit. So, and my children, hello, all but one. Oh, and a friend. Oh, that's great. So, it's good to see. Not only did my son come this morning as he got in late, I'm sure, but he brought a friend with him. That's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff you want to see from happening from your children. Uh, but we've lived here. This is year eight, and the kids go to Open Door Christian Schools here, so we moved to Elyria where we call it home now, and we love it here, and we hope the Lord leaves us here for the duration, and uh, at least that's my feeling. I know my wife, I can't, I don't know if I can speak for her, but I think she feels pretty good about being here, and we, we like where we're at right now and the place that we're in, so uh, we love serving, and we love worshiping with you, and uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has in the future for us all, so allow me to share a little bit with you this morning. Can I pray one more time real fast? Father, again, we are grateful for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come into this house of worship where we can put aside all of our cares and concerns and focus on you and acknowledge you for who you are, the creator, God who loves us, the one who sustains us. Would you speak to us now from your word? Allow us to become the people you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2017... Uh, it'll it'll mark this year, November 18th, it'll mark two years of a historic event in our country. Anybody want to guess what it is? You'll never guess. The Museum of the Bible opened its doors to the public in our nation's capital back on uh, November 18th in 2017. And the the building itself is a 430,000 square foot, $500 million facility that was brought to life by a man named Stephen Green and his family. You probably know them as the Hobby Lobby people. They own the Hobby Lobby uh, business there, which in itself last year made about $3.7 billion last year. So there's something to be said about the hobby business. Maybe we need a new hobby. Everybody out there, right? Find a hobby. So, they're known for their Christian faith as a family. And in 2014, they had a lawsuit against the uh, Obamacare, Affordable Health Care Act. And they actually won this lawsuit. And that's just something that they're determined to do is to make sure that the Word of God is made available. They're trying to draw people to the Word of God. And I commend them for this because understand this is their own resources to open this museum of the Bible. Other things that they've done, 
They've also funded public, a public school curriculum for uh, American schools based on the Bible. They've poured millions of dollars into Christian colleges and institutions all around the world. And again, their mission is just to encourage people to engage the Bible. To engage the Bible. The history of the Bible, the stories of the Bible, and the impact of the Bible. All can be examined carefully at this one-of-a-kind museum. We just actually went to Virginia. I'm from Virginia originally. We went home uh, this past weekend. Uh, it was a short trip for a family get-together, but I hope to go back again and have some time to go visit this museum. You know, the cool thing about D.C. is a lot of those things there are free, those museums. And this is one that I definitely want to visit. So I applaud this family in their effort to restore the Bible and its importance to the foundation of, of our nation and also to those who have either forgotten or don't understand the significance of God's Word. I think perhaps we've forgotten the significance and the importance of God's Word. And I'm sure they're going to face more adversity and uh, all kinds of things that will come their way because there are many different religions all in the world. But you know what? They're prepared to do whatever it takes to make sure people engage the Bible. Can I suggest on the same in the same way that we take a, a page from their story and look at that when it comes to the church, that we want people to engage the church. Now, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about you and I who make up the, the hands and feet, the body of Christ, where Christ is the head and we are the members of the church, and we are the ones that has, he has called us to represent him here on earth. Where's representation? And I'll get into that a little bit more, but I, when I thought about the, the church itself, what, what, when we look at it, what is the church? Well, the church is defined as this, a, a powerful, God-ordained living instrument that plays a defining role in God's redemptive story. It plays a defining role in God's redemptive story. That's what the church is. Now, I talk about the Bible to start with because where do we get God's Word most? Well, we come to church so we can hear God's Word. Now, God's church was built upon His Word. So, when we think about it, how does the redemptive story go? We go back to the Old Testament and God made a covenant with His people and that's how He communicated with His people. He made covenants and uh, what He did was a covenant itself is an alliance, an allegiance, uh, an agreement between two parties to, uh, to move toward, to work toward a common goal. That's what a covenant is. So this is how God again communicated with His people and through his people, Israel, he made a covenant, and we, but you know we couldn't keep the because they couldn't keep the covenant. So what happens is his redemptive story begins. It starts with Adam and Eve in Genesis, and you don't really see the word covenant there in in between Genesis uh, chapter one and, and chapter three, but it has the same kind of idea with it. If God, who created these beings and these creatures, and He says to Adam and Eve. Uh, Here's the detail. We got a relationship. 
you're created in my image and in my likeness. In our, in our image and our likeness. So he creates them. So within that, that gives them representation of God. So that means that they represent God. Then he gives them dominion over everything that he's created. So that means they have a responsibility to God. And then within that, to be fruitful and multiply and all that, in their relationship with God, that was what they were to do. But, you know, failure came and they're kicked out of the garden, and then God's redemptive story goes. And evil continues to build during that time, and things start to happen, and it's getting worse. And by the time we get to Noah, he's ready to wipe everything out. So we get to, to this Noah relationship, and God brings this promise to Noah that, you know what, when I'm never going to destroy the earth again by water despite humanity's evil and all the disobedient nature that we do have, he says, I'm not going to destroy it again by water. So he decides that he'll work toward rescuing in the world and really fulfilling a promise that he made back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he talks about, you know, this woman would have a child. And if you go back and read that, and this is part, again, of his redemptive story. So he makes this covenant with Noah, and then after, you know, he wipes out things, and then the ark and all that, and then we get to Abraham, and he strikes up this redemptive relationship with Abraham, which we can see developed through Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17. And I know I'm giving you a lot of homework, but that's good because you're going to, once you read God's Word, you'll understand it better, and you'll have a better grasp on the story itself, and we'll understand what the church is to look like. I'm going to get to that, I promise. So as we walk through this, God's promises, he gives Abraham this universal blessing, so to speak. And through his offspring, which is his family, and some land to go with it. I'm going to give you, we're going to take you to the promised land, right? And we've read through that. And then we come to Moses, and God again rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt and promises to make them his prized possession. This is what he's going to do. He's redeeming his people. He says, you're going to be a holy nation set apart for himself. Uh, he'll be with them to lead them to the promised land. And he'll be their God, Yahweh. And Israel, you'll be my people and a kingdom of priests. This is part of God's redemptive story. This is how he's going to build his church. And then after that, we get, we come to uh, uh, David and that's the man who's going to become this great king of Israel. And he makes these promises to, to make his name great. And he is going to be a king that we will remember. And through the lineage of David, through his lineage, will come the one to fulfill God's promises and way of redemption to reconcile creation back to himself. And we know that as the person and the man, Jesus Christ. So that's just giving just a little background and walking through the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament, and it's really a culmination of, of God's saving work in his people. And what he's doing is he's making this everlasting covenant with them. He says, here he will write his law in their hearts. And after he writes his law in their hearts, he'll bring complete forgiveness of sin. Place his spirit in them to empower them to love and obey his commands. Raise up a faithful king from the lineage of David again to rule over them. 
to bring them back to the land, to unite them as one people of God and allow them to be the light to all nations of the world. Amen. That's what it looks like. So, those are, the, those are just examples of covenants that God made with, with, with His people. Now, we get to the, to, the, to the New Testament again, and we have the four books, the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, you know, there are these stories of Jesus, and these are His friends, and uh, they tell of His birth, His life, and His death, and His resurrection, and the, the redemptive story uh, that, uh, of, which, of who He is and His whole his whole being of being the redemption himself for people, for mankind. And then we get to, after that, we find Acts. And this is about the beginning of the church. Now, as Jesus was here, after he ascended, there weren't buildings, so to speak, to go to uh, as churches. There were, uh, when you look at the rest of the New Testament, you find, you know, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. These are places where the Word of God spread, and then all of a sudden, churches develop. When the Word of God moves, churches start popping up. And this is part of his redemptive story and what the church should look like. But I wanted to really take a look, a hard look, at the church in Acts. Because we know this as um, the, the, the ancient church, so to speak, the the beginning of what it looked like, church. And I call that the fellowship of the believers because that, that's what it's entitled in my, in my ESV version of the Bible. They entitled that section as the fellowship of the believers. And I, I just love what it says because I really believe it, it, it gives us a snapshot, so to speak, of, of what the early believers were doing and what it looked like to be part of a church. Because I know today church is starting to look uh, a lot different. I mean, I don't, I'm not knocking it, but I've seen, uh, I know they have drive-through churches in Las Vegas, I believe. You, you can drive through, get a sermon, right? What does that look like? I mean, really? It's like ordering some tacos or something? A drive-through church. And then, uh, you know, again, not knocking it, you got Internet churches and things popping up. And God can use anything. I get it. But it's nothing like coming into a house of worship. And spending time as brothers and sisters in Christ, fellowshipping, communing together around the Word of God. There's nothing that can replace that. I don't think that should try to be replaced at all. And you should be excited yourself that not only do you have a concern for your own salvation or care about your own salvation by being here today, but that you care about the salvation of others. That's what coming to church really looks like. We care about one another. And we are concerned about one another because we are members of the body of Christ. Now, as I come to this in Acts, in in chapter 2, what's going on in the beginning, in chapter 1, you have the promise of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, uh, his ascension. You see them replacing one of the the, uh, the apostles here. And then you go to chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and, and Peter is preaching, and Man, people are getting saved and lives are changing. In fact, I want to read a little bit uh, before I read that verse right there. <laughs> I, I have to read this because look what's going on in chapter 2 here, right before that in verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, 
hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And, and as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and I talk about David, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he says, Brothers, I may, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. For he saw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All this is going on. Now you see why in verse 41 it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's verse 41. Can you see why with that kind of preaching going on, why people were coming to faith? That's amazing to me. Now this is, again, Peter, he's preaching, and people are responding to the word of God. Now, they're starting to form together. Now we can get to our text for today. And I promise I won't be too long. The Fellowship of the Believers, verses 42 through 47. Could, could we stand one more time and just read? And I like reading, so could we stand one more time as we read the Word of God? I ain't worried about that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You can take a seat, and I promise I'll keep it going here. So what is one of the first things that we see when we talk about, when we see them getting together? They're continuing to meet together. This is what the church looks like. The first thing, we look for a church that meets together regularly. They meet together regularly. So, what does that look like? The early believers didn't view the church as a social club. It wasn't just a thing that they did on Sunday. They looked at it as a place 
for devoted fellowship and valuable instruction. Devoted fellowship and valuable instruction. We miss out on tremendous blessings when we neglect meeting together with God's people. When we're spiritually weak, we shouldn't run from the church, but run to the church. Amen? We should run to the church. This is a place where we can find those who are like-minded, who are just as concerned about our cares of, in our lives as we are theirs. We come and we meet together. We love on one another. I love what you guys just did before we even started. We prayed. We talked to each other. We let each other know what's going on in our lives. You know, there seems to be a time in our world today where everybody wants to hide whatever it is going on in their lives. Yeah, don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. It might not be perfect. You might not be, it might not be what you expected me to say. But if you ask me what's going on in my life, I'm going to tell you the real deal. Because I know you, if you ask, then that means you care. And if you care, that means you'll pray. And if you'll pray, I know that God will hear and that God will honor that. Those who seek him, who seek him diligently, will find him. And if I'm on my knees and you're on your knees for, and we're on our knees for each other, we're guaranteed that God is going to, he's going to move. He's going to do something. It might not be what we want it to be, but I guarantee it'll be something that will benefit us. See, look for a church as they meet together regularly. It's because we want to love on each other. Commitment to community is critical in the body. It's absolutely critical. And what we understand is when we get together, his presence is expected. We expect God to show up. We expect God to move in our lives. We expect to acknowledge him when we come into the house of the Lord. We can sense his presence when we walk in this place. And we're all on one accord, expecting God to hear from him, from his word, and that he would move in our lives. We can expect that. But that's only from a church that meets together regularly. What were these people? The woman, they were breaking bread together. They were committing, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and breaking bread and praying together. Man, that looks like the church. That looks like the church. I know, you know, I'm not, I don't have anything against large churches. I know we hear it often. But, you know, so to me, I've been to a lot of the larger churches, and not just here, all over the world. And, you know, you can, it seems that you can get comfortable in there and kind of hide and, you know, and not serve. You know, there are different things that you could get involved with. You probably think, you know, I could probably get involved with, oh, they got 50 people doing that. You know, there's 5,000 people here at this place. I can just sit back and coast. Don't you know if you're not in gear, you're not going, you're drifting or you're coasting, and neither one of them are good for us. Neither one of those are good for us. We can do that in larger churches, but the churches that you know, the smaller ones that tended like these were, they, they, they were little small groups. They were getting together and they were praying and telling each other what's going on in their lives, sharing the blessings and the struggles and the circumstances, all the things that were going on in life, and they were going through life together. They were in community. Man, they're having a cookout. You're doing all these good things. Man, that sounds like a church to me. That sounds like a church to me. So they were committed to meeting together. And 
that when we talk about growth area, as you meet together regularly, you will grow. You will grow. And I'm not talking about just numbers, and I'll get to that in a minute, but you're talking about growing as disciples. And we're not going to get to the discipleship part if we don't, if we're not a church that continues to meet together regularly. I'm convinced of that. And I know your pastor, I love him, and I don't know anybody more passionate about discipleship than that guy. But I'm telling you, I think he understands this with me, that if we don't meet together regularly, and that's the first part of becoming a strong and healthy church, I don't know how we're going to get to discipleship, really, if we don't meet together regularly. Repetition is good. Repetition is good. I know I'm a sports guy, right? Yeah. You know, we had a basketball coach when I used to coach, uh, our assistant athletics director down in Alabama back when we first got married. And we had a guy named who's a famous basketball coach in, in college basketball. His name was Gene Bartow. And he he was good. He coached under John Wooden. And, and I ended up somehow, God's providence, having us move our first year of marriage to Alabama. And one of the things coach used to talk about was repetition with the players all the time. And he was 70 years old or so, and he would jump out there on the court and start shooting like free throws. And he said, oh, you guys ought to make 9 out of 10. And he, he was just draining them. And he's 70 years old, right? And he would say, repetitions are good. Repetitions good. It's the same thing. We continue to come each week. I don't care what you got to drag here with you. Bring it with you. And unload it here at the altar and leave it. And look forward to your next day and your next week. But make sure you come into the house of worship each week. Continue to meet together regularly. That's what these folks were doing. Second thing is the church, they place a high priority on Bible study. They place a high priority on Bible study. The first century Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching on the life and ministry of Jesus eventually became the gospel portion of the New Testament. That became the gospel portion of the New Testament. Studying the Bible is important to every Christian spiritual growth. Without Bible study, Christians cannot know and understand God's commands and truth for their lives. We don't, if we don't know who He is and what He's telling us to do, how are we going to really follow? We've got to commit ourselves to the studying of God's now, I know we probably have our daily devotional thing. Most of us do some type of daily devotional. And that's fine. You know, I, my wife has about four or five of them. And, and, and I mean, she, she's got like a stack of books. This is like her morning stuff, her devotional. It's four or five different. And they're all good. And, you know, that's kind of how she starts her day. And it's awesome. But when it comes to uh, a, some studying of the Bible, I'm telling you, I've seen her sit down and not move for two or three hours at a time. And then when she does get up, she'll go get herself something to drink and come right back. Now, that's not to brag and boast on her. I'm just telling you, when you devote yourself to that kind of studying, then you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life and what he's given you through Scripture to share with others. That's why we want to learn. We want to let the Word of God the Word of God dwell richly in us. As it dwells in us, it overflows, and we can't help but tell other people of the goodness of God and how He's 
loving us and caring for us and taking us through the difficult things of life and all the circumstances and the potholes on the road to destiny. And when we, when we allow God's Word to guide us and get in us and dwell in us richly and on our hearts and on our minds, then we'll be able to, to come through shining bright every time. Every time, no matter what it looks like. If you would ask me, uh, you know, last week, how are things looking? I would have told you it's dark. It's just one of those weeks. I just had one of those weeks. But I just kept remembering what God, God's Word said because of what I've read and what I've studied, what I know to be true. It's what brought me through my week so I could be with you here today. I'm telling you, Sundays are always a struggle, right? If, especially if you're a pastor or if you're speaking somewhere. I'm going to tell you, I almost hit two or three squirrels on the, ray, on the way here. Uh, somebody pulled out in front of me, and I don't live five miles from here. And I tell you, it was a battle just getting here. Because I knew when I got here, I was going to encounter God, and I was going to sense His presence. And His Word would go forth this morning, and that all of us would be changed. I just knew that. But they, we commit ourselves to Bible study. You know, one of the things, when I have Bible study with, uh, with my team, you know, and, and again, I'm not against devices, but, you know, we pull, I say, oh, get your Bibles out, and everybody, right? And I'm like, can you skip past the Candy Crush uh, app and whatever it is you're looking at or Fortnite or whatever and go hit your Bible app, please? You know, I think, to me, you're kind of in, uh, I like to say, a gunfight with a pencil don't have a Bible. And I have guys that will come to Bible study and know me, know what I tell them and how I am. I said, how do you come to Bible study without a Bible? I mean, it really. So I've gotten so I like to get them Bibles now, but, you know, I used to do that. But, you know what, now I've decided, you know, I'm going to let them invest in a Bible themselves because when you go out and spend your money on something and you invest in it, you're likely, more likely to take care of it and to cherish it more because you spent your own money on it. And what I tell them is mess your Bible up. I want to see, you know, I want you to write notes in it and, you know, I want to see tear stains on it from you pouring over it and reading what God had to say to you. That That's what Bible study should look like. You want to mark it up and, and write little notes in it and, and all kinds of little marks and things of what God is speaking to you as you read His Word. That's what our Bibles should look like. That's what our Bible should look like. So, when they place a high priority on Bible study, that means it's not placing a high priority. And nothing, I, I love the singing and worship this morning. Praise God for that. But you know, oftentimes when I go to these places, they have you know they want to uh, highlight uh, the praise and the worship team, and they want to highlight the coffee shop, and they want to highlight the new building. Highlight the new carpet and the new pews. Those are all great things and all great comfortable things. But if we're not highlighting the Word of God first, if it isn't preeminent, if it isn't first place, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, I you know, we I have some friends in church. Hey, you gotta see our coffee shop. Looks like a Starbucks, man. I mean, okay. I mean, my wife likes coffee. I know other people like coffee, but, man, is that really what we're highlighting now? We just we have to highlight the Word of God. The high priority on Bible study has to be first place. First place. Not knocking any of that other stuff. Those are all fine and dandy. That's great. 
But please, let's put a priority on God's word, on God's word first. Third thing, I'm moving, I'm moving along. Can I even say we don't put a high priority on our pastor? We love him, we care for him, but he needs the same grace and mercy that all of us have. And sometimes we can put the pastor on a pedestal and make him bigger than what he is. Please love on him and treat him well and take care of him. That's going to be one of the parts here, too, taking care of each other as a church. But we can't even put a priority on our pastor. It's got to be the word of God first. It's got to be the word of God first. Third thing, look for a church that place that that, um, that is a place of corporate worship and prayer. Corporate worship and prayer. That's what you guys just did earlier. We got together and you all prayed for one another. That is beautiful. How many times do we see that in church? We don't see that anymore. That's what these folks were doing. They were getting together and praying and hugging on one another. And they, man, what's going on in your life? Let me, let me in. Let me in. We live in a world where there's just fences built up everywhere. We want to build these walls and keep everybody out and, and keep all the junk in. If we would share with one another what's going on in our lives and continue to pour our hearts out to one another, you know, those people in this safe community that we have, you know, not gossip, but in a safe community, share with one another our needs and our desires and, and how we can pray for one another. I'm telling you, things would look different. That's what a place of corporate worship and prayer looks like. See, the early church recognized the importance of corporate worship and prayer. They recognized the importance of it. Corporate worship focused on their attention on the praiseworthy character of God and gave them an opportunity to express their thanks to God. See, this is an opportunity to express your thanks to God corporately in this place. That's what the early church did. Corporate prayer allowed them to express their thanks to God as well, but also an opportunity to seek God together and to present their request before him as a body. Now, can you imagine the power that brings when we as a body pray together, Lord, would you continue to work in the hearts and in the minds of those that you have in this place today? Lord, would you allow us to reach out to others and to encourage them to come and join and worship with us as we seek your face, as you guide us through this life into eternity because one day Lord we are all going to step into eternity and this world is not going to afford us a home anymore and we want to be in your presence Lord and those who don't know you would you allow them to come to a place where they can make a decision for you can you imagine when we get together and do those kind of things how the Lord moves can you imagine what that looks like I'm telling you that's what these folks were doing and they, 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 they understood the significance of worship, of corporate worship and prayer together. So we freely worship the Lord in this place, and that brings honor to God. That brings honor to God. Prayer should be the key that unlocks the door of our faith and our lives. It's our greatest weapon that we have. It's our greatest weapon and tool that God has given us. Prayer. Prayer. And it's not just the crying out to God when there's a problem. I'm talking when there's just a time where you're feeling the presence of God and you're driving along in your car and you just thank Him for all He's done. 
and you just thank him for how he loves you. You just thank him for that brother or sister that you're praying for that would come to faith and to know you the way that you desire for them to know you. See, that's what, that, that's what prayer looks like. Man. When we corporally do these things, it helps us to understand when we get together, guys, that we're not alone. And we're free to join each other as brothers and sisters together and worship God. It's, not much, it's like anybody go to the movies by themselves? I, 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 don't, I wouldn't go to, the movie by my, to a movie by myself. That's just kind of weird to me. You want to go with somebody else, right? It's kind of the same thing, man. I'm a, I want to go to church. I want to be with, with other people, other like-minded people. I want to fellowship. I want to love on people. I want to hear God's word with them and say, yeah, amen, amen, brother, I'll hear you. And that one, I, I can agree with that. See, that's what, that's what corporate worship and prayer looks like. It's like we don't want to go by ourselves to the movies. We want to go to church and fellowship with other believers, right? I don't care how many are here or how many are anywhere. It's, I just want to be around somebody like-minded who wants to worship God freely. There's a verse in Proverbs 27:17 that talks about iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Have you ever seen iron sharpen? I mean, it's some grinding. There's some sparks. There's some things going on. There's some heat. There's some friction. Man, that, that's why we come in here. We we sharpen one another. Man, when I when I'm down, I lean on my my brother, my pastor, my my friend. Uh, yeah, I, I can lean on. Some of some of what they got going on in their lives might, might rub off on me. It just might. But that's what happens when when we talk about the Bible's clear. You know, we don't grow or become sharp in faith on our own. We need one another. We absolutely need one another. Fourth thing: look for a church that looks after its members. That's a beautiful shot right there. Pastor Joel did that. That's some good stuff. Man, can we help one another? They said, it says here that, man, if, if anyone had a need or anything, they were selling items and things and goods and possessions and saying, hey, man, you have something, I got it. You know, if I got it, you got it. And they were helping one another out. And see, the early believers, they shared food and clothing and housing with each other. It, the Bible does remind us to care for fellow believers who are in need. If you look in Second Corinthians chapter nine, it talks about how we help others with need. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses one through fifteen. If you you read that sometime, and, and that, that's going to show you a little bit about how church members looked after one another. You know, visiting the sick and the lonely and the lost. This is this is how we look out for one another. Well, I didn't grow up in the church. Unfortunately, God didn't have a, me in a place at that time and in my, with my family where I grew up in the church. But I can tell you, my grandmother had 50 years of service in the church. Now, she never drove a vehicle, uh, a car, or anything. So when no one would take her, she couldn't go. But I can tell you, as a little boy, I can remember deacons or even the pastor sometimes. If we didn't show up for church for a week or so, man, they were at your house. And it wasn't to be nosy. It was to check on you. You know, they would come in. My grandmother's name was Osi. O-C-I-E. Yeah, that's weird. Osi. And her middle name was Ola. Osi Ola White. Yes, Indian. Yeah. So they would like, I mean, it, it was nothing. You know, after church, 
you know, somebody knocking on the door, you know, church service is over because, you know, a little Baptist church. So they probably had church for about three hours. And then they would come over because, you know, they had to eat after church too. And then they would come over and they would check on my grandmother to see how she was doing and check on it because they didn't see her at church today. Man, can you imagine that today? You don't show up for a week or two. Sometimes maybe they ain't checked on you. They don't know how you're doing. You could be laid up in the hospital. They wouldn't know. Don't check on anybody anymore. Oh, see how they're doing. You know, this morning I was thinking about it as I was driving out of my driveway. I saw a ton of cars on the other side of the street here. Uh, we live kind of, you know, it's a street here and it kind of tees right here, and we're, we're right here. So my neighbor on the corner, I know he's having some. He's on a list for a liver transplant, and I saw all these cars there this morning, and it took everything in me not to go over there because I had prayed with him right there at our at the mailbox, the community mailbox. And I have sat right there and prayed with him. And I know this has been going on for a couple of years. And he lives right on that corner. I saw all these cars. And it took everything in me not to be late getting here to go over there and knock on his door to see how he was doing. Because I know he, 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 he's struggling. And then I realized that a few houses down is an estate sale. <laughs> That's what all the cars are there for. But anyway, because I saw him, he, he's fine. Thinking about how we check on one another. A church that cares for each other, checks on one another. We find out how we're doing. And I mean really, how you doing? And we're open and we're honest and we, we tell each other how we're feeling. You know, am I anxious? Am I, you know, am I, am I nervous about something? It's whatever's going on in my life. We share with one another so we, we can pray for one another. See, we, we visit the sick and the lonely and the lost, seasoned, us seasoned veterans in, in the faith. We, we, we look out for those less seasoned folks, so to speak, and uh, we, we go and, and we meet with them. And we show care and concern for them. That's what the church does. That's what the church does. See, as a body of believers, we make sure that we look out for one another. Last thing was this. Look for a church, you know what? A church is, is growing. That's growing. Now, what do I mean? You're, you're a year old, right? And, and I'm not talking about bodies necessarily at all. It's nice when the bodies, the body grows. As it says here when, when, when Peter was preaching and about 3,000 souls came. That's fantastic. I'm sure they didn't all go, you know, they didn't all formulate in the same place all the time. They had small groups. It was smaller groups. Of people meeting together. Now, when I talk about growth, I'm talking about growing in your walk with the Lord, growing in your faith. See, everybody in here, the fact that you came again this morning means that you want to grow. You want to grow. You want to deepen your understanding of who God is. You want to deepen your knowledge of who He is and how He works in your life so you can apply God's Word to your life. That's what growth looks like. It's not necessarily numbers all the time. It's those who are growing here. And that class that's going on tonight, if, if you come out tonight and you, you being discipled, so guess what? It's going to be so that you can reach others. He's going to equip you with the Word of God to send you out into the harvest that is absolutely plentiful because there needs to be more laborers in the harvest. It's not your pastor's job to reach your neighbor, but no, it's yours. God give, he saved you for 
a, a purpose and a reason. He has you have responsibility to him to let others know of his goodness. Yeah. That's that's what discipleship really looks like. See, that's what new members class kind of looks like. Say, we want you to be equipped. We want you to be growing in your faith, be growing in your application of the Bible in your life, growing in defending the faith as a soldier in the army of the Lord. Because that's what you are. You're a soldier. You, you know, you're that salmon that's swimming upstream. When the world says do this, you say, no, God said do that. And you're going the absolute opposite way. Yeah, you stand firm in the faith. That's who you are. That's how you're growing. That's how you know when you're growing. And I've told this story before uh, over times, but I remember being 21. I came to faith at 18 and was starting to grow in my faith a little. And, you know, I was on the football team and all that stuff at West Virginia University, which is always one of the top three party schools in the world every year, in top three, every year. And they're upset if they're not number one, right? So I'm there, and I've secluded myself from a lot of the stuff that's going on on campus. I just stayed away from it. God was pulling me away from it. And one evening I had this grand idea that I'm going to go down where they're dancing and doing their thing. I'm just going to go see what they're doing down here. Now, I had been there before and realized this ain't my kind of place, but for some reason I decided I'm going to go again. So I go there, and here's one of my teammates. I finally get to the front. One of my teammates, he's a big old linebacker guy, you know, and he, he kind of hits me in the chest like, you know, and puts his hand out when I get to the front, you know, the line. He kind of, and he looks at me and goes, what are you doing here? I just kind of looked in, you know, saw a few people. You know, said, I don't know, man. See you at practice. And I went back to my car, and I started driving home. And I thought about it. I was like, wow, Lord, what was that really about? You know what? I realized then that, man, he recognized who I was proclaiming to be, a follower of Christ, and said, why are you in a place like this where you don't even fit in or belong? And the fact that I turned and walked away helped me realize that my faith was absolutely real to me, and I was living it out to where others could see it in my life. And, you know, I, I always wondered about that. That story sticks with me because it just made a really deep impression and impact on my life, and I realized that I was growing in my faith and that I didn't need to be part of the world, but I, I'm in the world but not of the world that I represent the Lord and what He's trying to do. So this is just a little picture of what the first church, so to speak, or the early church looked like. So if we can keep these things in mind, if we can understand that we're praying for one another and loving on one another and that we're growing in our faith and we look out for one another and we place a high priority on Bible study and we meet together regularly, man, not just here, but it'd be nice to invite somebody over for dinner sometimes and you know, the cookout thing is coming. Hopefully you all show up and everybody's hungry and happy together. But that's what the church looks like. That's what the church looks like. Well, I'm going to close with this. With this. There's an old African proverb I, I heard a few years ago. It says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. If you want to go fast, you go 
alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. Brothers and sisters, we can turn the world upside down. We can turn the world upside down. If we adopt the model that we just kind of that we just went over of the early church, we can turn the church of the world upside down again. God gave it to us for a reason. Let's do it together. Let's start today. Let's turn the world upside down by becoming the type of church that we see in Acts as members of the body of Christ. Can we do that? I believe we can. I believe we can. We can make a difference. We can turn the world upside down. It can start right here today. Right here today. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Grateful for your word. Grateful for the picture that you've given us in Acts. But thank you for the church itself, the the body of believers. We pray that as you add to the depth of the church and our, our growing and understanding of your word and application of your word in our lives, that we see others come into the body and desire the things of God as your children desire. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that you're calling us to be. Let us be dedicated and committed to your word. And let us seek the opportunity each day, each moment, each time that you give it to us, Lord, to share the good news of the gospel. Because Jesus did change everything. Everything changed when he came. He makes all the difference in the world. Now help us to be, Father, the kind of church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name.